We'll take our text this morning from the scripture reading, Luke chapter 19. We'll reread verses 5 through 9. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. With the Lord's help this morning, we'll consider another Bible doctrine. We'll be looking at the doctrine of restitution. Webster gives us some definitions of restitution. It's an act of returning something, restoring something to its rightful owner, making good of or giving an equivalent for some injury. It can be a legal action that serves to cause restoration of a previous state. I came up with some of my own definitions of restitution. Actions taken to correct past wrongs. An effort to compensate a victim for their loss. Or a desire to correct a past Injustice. This is a Bible doctrine, this doctrine of restitution. It is spoken of throughout the Old Testament and it is exemplified in the New Testament. We can go back to the Old Testament, clear back to the book of Exodus, chapter 22, and you see all kinds of laws that the Lord gave to the children of Israel regarding. Uh, restitution for all kinds of things. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 33 and 34, it talked about restoring somebody's property. If you cause property damage, it says here that if a man shall open a pit or if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it and an ox or an ass fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good and give money unto the owner of them and the dead beast shall be his. So we see here, if it was a negligence on the part of an individual and a neighbor's animal was hurt or killed, it was a responsibility of that man who was negligent and careless to restore that oxen, and he was responsible for that dead animal. Throughout Exodus 22, it speaks about other ways of repaying uh for animals that were injured and killed. These were considered people's personal property at the time because it was a large agricultural. People worked the land, so animals were considered part of that property. And the Lord covered the loss of animals. The stealing of animals was covered in 22, verses 1 through 4. Uh, The Lord spoke about how to restore that which was taken unlawfully in In Exodus 22, verse 9, it speaks about how they were supposed to 
uh, make restitution for others' belongings if somebody committed something into your trust and it got damaged or stolen. Uh, the Lord spoke about that in Exodus 22, verse 9. It says, For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing, which another challengeth to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. So we can see the Lord took this very seriously. These are just some of the laws. There's numerous laws for all kinds of different trespasses and ways to make restitution. In the book of Leviticus, when the law was being further established and God was handing the commandments down to Moses in the Levitical law, he included uh, laws regarding restitution. Leviticus chapter 6, the first five verses uh, speaks about what needed to be done to make a trespass offering, and that was uh, offering or sacrifice for a sin that had been committed knowingly or wittingly against a neighbor. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor, and that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or have found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, and sweareth falsely, in any of all these that a man doeth, sinning therein, then it shall be, because he hath sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he had deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found. Talks about things that were taken violently away, or taken deceitfully Talks about things that were loaned that were never returned. Talks about things that were found. You know, if you know who the rightful owner is and you find something, you're to return it. It's not finders keepers, not in that case. If you know who the rightful owner is, it was commanded to return that thing. Uh, the Lord covered all of this in the Old Testament law and they had to take care of these things before they could even come and offer that trespass offering. It said, after they'd done these things, it says, And then he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish, out of the flock, with thy estimation, for a trespass offering unto the priest. So we can see the Lord uh, took this thing we call restitution very seriously. We read in God's Word, we see some accounts where Restitution led to restoration. We see this on a national level. We have different accounts, but there's an account in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 21. It tells us that God had sent a famine in the land of Israel, and he did it because Saul had broken a covenant that the Israelites had made with the Gibeonites in that broken covenant, that broken promise. Uh, the wrong was never corrected. It had never been rectified. And so now David became king. It tells us here in chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. 
So for three years they had this famine in the land, and when David asked the Lord about it, he reminded him it was because of a covenant that had been broken by the children of Israel, by Saul, and he was letting him know that restitution needed to be made for that. You know, I wonder how many people struggle from spiritual famine because they neglect to take things, take care of things in their past that need to be corrected. What was David's response? Well, I suppose he could have responded a couple of different ways. He could have said, well, that's in the past. You know, that's old news. What's done is done. Let's just move forward and, and forget about it. But we see he had a different response in verse 2 through 4. It says, And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us thou shalt kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. David was willing to go back. Correct the wrongs. Correct those things that had been done deceitfully. He was willing to do whatever it took to correct the problem. He didn't uh, demand forgiveness. He asked him, what do you want me to do? How do I repay you for this past violation against you? You know, he did that on a national level. He did whatever it was that was in his power to do to take care of that problem. You know, I suppose the, the children of Israel, this was a new beginning for them. They could have thought, well, you know, Saul is dead. God had ordained David to be the new king. You know, that old life under King Saul and his failed leadership, that was all over. That was a thing of the past. Those past failures and defeats were behind them. You know, they were moving forward. They were leaving the past behind. It, it's kind of like getting saved. And yet, what did God require of King David? He said he had to go back. He had to rectify the wrongs that had been caused. And until he did that, they couldn't move forward. So we know uh, David did what was required. How do you think that impacted the Gibeonites? It says they were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them. They weren't part of God's chosen people. Could say they were heathens or sinners. How do you think they viewed the children of Israel during this time? Probably not very favorably. They probably thought these are people that are supposed to represent the living God. They should be trustworthy and honest, and they've deceived us. They could have had a very bad opinion of God's children, the children of Israel. But we see as we read that account. Uh, it had an impact on them. It had an impact on the nation of Israel at that time. And it was proof to them that God does keep His Word. God is a God of righteousness and judgment. You know, some would scoff 
at the idea of restitution. There are those even in Christian circles that say, well, you know, it's not necessary. God's forgiveness is so far-reaching. He doesn't really expect us to go back and take care of the past. Just the opposite is true, and God's Word uh, bears that out. Someone once said, if I robbed Mr. X and God saves me, well, how will that help Mr. X? won't do a thing for him. You know, if I'm driving a stolen car before I'm saved... Does that mean I get to drive it after I'm saved? Of course not. That's foolish. What if I rolled up in the church parking lot and one of the saints recognized, hey, that, that's my car. What would the expectation be? You return it. Even the civil laws of the land require that. Well, God doesn't expect anything less. It's been said forgiveness doesn't transfer property rights to the thief. It needs to be repaid. God expects us to go back when we can and how we can to take care of those things that are in the past. Of course, we know uh, the end results to this account. This is that there's a happy ending to this account. Tells us as David took all those steps necessary for restitution, God responded by lifting the famine and releasing his blessings. In verse 14, it says, they performed all the king commanded them, and after that, God was entreated for the land. They took care of what needed to be taken care of, and God poured out the blessing upon them once again. You know, it makes a big impact. Probably nothing is more powerful than a Christian that goes back and tries to make amends for people they've wronged in their past. That's a powerful testimony to the world. I thought about Brother Bruce Archer's testimony. He committed so many crimes. He said he could have spent the rest of his life behind bars, but when the Lord saved him, he began to go over those restitutions. And one man he had to write a letter to, and he'd taken a large, large sum of money from this man. And he wrote a letter and told him what had happened and told him how the Lord had changed and transformed him. And he would do whatever he could to pay that man back. That man responded by saying, I don't want anything from you. I want you to pray for me so I can have the same thing in my heart you have. God will help you. I thought about Brother Dwayne Wilson, a testimony he gave some time back. He, he said, you know, I didn't get myself into these problems overnight. and I didn't get, him, get out of them overnight. But as the Lord laid those restitutions on his heart, he would go back and the Lord would be with him and help him and bless him and help him to, to take care of the things that needed to be done. You know, renewal sometimes requires restoration. Sometimes you can be going along in your Christian walk, and um, especially for new converts, you can be zealous and you feel like you're really uh, gaining spiritual ground, but there may be times when you feel like uh, maybe you've hit a wall and you're not really getting anywhere with the Lord. Sometimes it's during those times that the Lord could come along and remind you of a, of a restitution or something that you need to take care of. I thought again of another testimony. Brother Eugene Marshall told about being saved when he was living in Virginia. He said before he found the Lord, he was just a wretched, miserable person. He was a gambler and a drunkard. He grew tobacco. That's how he made his living. And he would leave sometimes and go get drunk and leave his wife and baby with hardly anything to even eat. And he would come home in that condition and just violent and vile. He said he'd shoot at the cats and anything else he could find. 
But one day he found himself in a church service. And God miraculously spoke to his heart. He said he went to that altar of prayer and he laid down all of those burdens and those sins at the Lord's feet and God forgave him. He said he transformed his home. He said he had a happy home. And one of the first things he realized after he was saved was he would have to stop growing tobacco. And he it's all he knew. It's all the only way he could make a living. So he prayed. And he said, Lord, if you'll just help me, I'll, I'll do that for you. And God, in no time at all, gave him a good job. He said he had a mortgage on his home that he was falling behind on. And when the Lord gave him that new job, he said, no time at all. His mortgage was paid off and God helped him, blessed him. Well, he'd been saved for some years and just kind of going along in this condition here, not really getting anywhere. It says some years later, a preacher came to Virginia where he was living. He was preaching about restitution. After the sermon, the minister asked, well, why aren't you making spiritual progress? He said, when you get down to pray, what do you see? What are you looking at? He said, I see a $5 gold piece. And it gets bigger all the time. He told him about the story behind that $5 gold piece. He said, I was driving the woman I worked for to church. And she stepped out of her carriage. She dropped a $5 gold piece from her purse. And it hit the sand. She didn't see it, so I put my number 10 on it and I hit it. Well, after hearing this, of course, the minister said, you're going to have to take care of this. This may have been the first message he ever heard on restitution. Later that evening, he said, I climbed into my buggy with my wife and child, and we started for home. As the old mule's hooves hit the road, they seemed to say, make restitution, make restitution. He says, for five miles, that mule preached restitution to me. When he got home, he couldn't wait to get that mule in the barn and get to bed and but he couldn't sleep and he would toss and turn and he said the old springs in his bed would say restitution, restitution. And finally, he tossed and turned and he just told the Lord, Lord, if you let me live to see the morning, I'll take care of that. Of course, the Lord did and he got up the next morning early. I told his wife, don't even bother cooking breakfast. He hitched up the mule. He drove that five miles to that lady's house and he knocked on her door and he handed her a $5 bill and explained what he had done and how the Lord saved him. Of course, uh, she was thrilled. She forgave him freely. Well, he said, I thought that was the end of it. But God resurrected my memory. He said, it cost me several hundred dollars before all my restitutions were made. But he said, when I paid up, God gave me the victory. God came down. God met him. Sometimes we need to get some things out of the way if we want to be uh, renewed and restored. You know, in Jesus' own words, Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and thou rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first. Be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. If you're getting down to pray, and something comes up, and you realize there's some unresolved things to take care of. Take care of those things. Jesus says, don't bother offering your gift until you do those things. But once you do, those channels will be open again and the Lord's Spirit can come down and begin to help and encourage and strengthen. Restitution leads to reconciliation and revival and even healing. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man 
availeth much. Confess your faults one to another. If you're harboring resentment or bitterness against somebody, you're not going to get anywhere with the Lord. It says, confess those things. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. I thought of another account. Brother Rennie Castle told a story years ago at camp meeting. He told about an older man who lived in Newfoundland in a very rural area, so access to hospitals and clinics were very limited. And one day this man had fallen down in his home and broken his arm. He was in terrible pain. To make matters worse, he only had one arm. He had lost the other one in a logging accident years before, so obviously he was in dire, dire straits and called the saints to come out and pray for him. So a little group gathered. They came out to this man's house and they were sitting in the living room praying for him and nothing was happening. It was like the heavens were brass and he was just writhing in agony. And after some time, he finally got up out of his seat and he walked over to one of the sisters that had come to pray for him. And he told her that he'd been harboring some bitterness in his heart against her for years. She had no idea. And of course, she freely forgave him and he went back to his seat and they began to pray. Something happened. The heavens opened up. The Spirit of God came down, touched that man, healed him completely. And they had this time of fellowship and communion with the Lord. But he had to get that thing out of the way for him to be healed. And God did a wonderful work that day. You know, one of the greatest examples of restitution we find in the New Testament, it was in our account, the account of Zacchaeus. Again, Luke 19, it gives us a description of Zacchaeus. Verse 1 says he was a chief publican and he was rich. Verse 7 says he was a sinner. Kind of gives us a thumbnail sketch of what type of person he was. It said he was a publican. Publican was a tax collector and they were hated and despised by their own people because often they were Jewish citizens working for the Roman government and they would extort all kinds of taxes from their own people. They basically got wealthy on the backs of their fellow men. Imagine an IRS agent with unbridled power. It's pretty terrifying if you think about it. That's kind of what a publican was. And so he was despised. They were notoriously crooked and dishonest. And it says he was the chief. Not only was he a publican, but he was the chief. He was the publican of publicans, you might say. Despised, hated, considered by those around him to be a sinner. Even in verse 7, this man's a sinner. The crowd was mostly Jewish probably that day, but in that culture, in that society, if, if the Pharisees or the Jews labeled a person a sinner, that was often... Somebody who, in their eyes, was, was really beyond hope. They were even too vile at times to even be allowed in the temple to make sacrifices. So this is the opinion that people had of Zacchaeus, and it was a well-earned opinion. He, he earned that opinion. Not the candidate we'd any, any of us would think would be a candidate for salvation, but it tells us in that account, he says he was looking for Jesus. Verse 2 says he sought to see him, who he was. You know, he had heard about Jesus, but something was different that day. He wanted to see Jesus, find out who he was for himself. He went to great efforts to see the Lord. It says he was little of stature. 
You know what? That wasn't just true physically, but socially, spiritually. He was little in everybody's eyes. He was this rich little tyrant with no friends, and he was despised and no doubt had again spent his life cheating others. But it says that as he heard Jesus was coming, he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. What he probably didn't realize was that Jesus was looking for him that day. Verse 5, it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Imagine how that must have shocked Zacchaeus. Jesus knew him by name. says, I must needs come to your house. That wasn't even a request. That was more of an imperative. We see that this appointment had been preordained by the Lord himself. The Lord knew who he was. The Lord knew where he was and what he was. The Lord knew what he needed and he knew what he could become. Same thing can be said of any of us. The Lord knows who we are. The Lord knows who you are. The Lord knows where you've been. The Lord knows what you've done, but the Lord knows what you need. He says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That key has certainly fit the bill there. And the Lord invited him to come down. And it said, we realize too, you know what? Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. We don't invite Jesus in first without him first letting us know he wants to come in. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open at the door, I will come into him and sup with him, and I'll receive him. But we have to open that door. When the Lord says, I want to come and I want to spend time with you, I want to come into your house, we need to allow the Lord to do that. And we see how Zacchaeus responded to the Lord's request and said he made haste, came down, and he received him joyfully. And I believe that was the moment when he experienced true salvation. Something happened from the moment, from the time he was up in that tree till his feet hit the ground. There was this transaction that had taken place in his heart between he and the Lord. Of course, there were skeptics in the crowd, naturally so. They said, this man, I said, when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, this man is a sinner. But we read... Verse 8 through 10, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The very next words out of Zacchaeus' mouth, the next actions he was willing to take, he felt compelled to take, was to make restitution to his fellow man, to go back and try to somehow uh, correct those things uh, that he had done wrong in his past. You know, restitution wasn't a prerequisite for his salvation, but it was a result of his salvation. That is a fruit of genuine repentance Someone said forgiveness is not a substitute for restitution, but the foundation of it. The great definition for restitution says it's repentance and action. That's a genuine sign of true repentance is restitution, wanting to go back and do whatever we can to make 
the past right. You know, the Lord will bless us when we do that. If you have restitutions to make, God will help you. God will be with you. Chances are Zacchaeus may have had restitution that would take him the rest of his life to make, but God was going to help him. God was going to bless him. There's some church historians that say that Zacchaeus went on to be a prominent leader in Caesarea. We don't have any historical proof of that, but one thing we do know, the Bible says that day salvation came to his house. He received the Lord joyfully, and his heart was changed. He wanted to make those past things right. Why is this so important for us today? The Bible tells us Jesus is coming soon. The Word gives us every indication and everything in His Word lets us know it could be at any moment. It could be today. It's imminent. The Lord is going to return and it says He's coming back for His church or His bride. He lets us know what that bride will look like in Ephesians 5.27. It's going to be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Jesus said he wants to present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. You know, we need to make sure everything is clean and clear and right in our lives, not just between us and God, but between us and our fellow man. We don't want any blemishes, any spots. We want to be uh, standing before the Lord unreprovable and unblameable. How do we do that? Well, Paul tells us, he says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense between God toward God and toward man. See, exercise himself to always have that free conscience, that clear conscience. How's your conscience this morning? Is the Lord speaking to you about something that you need to take care of? Trust God. He'll help you do it. Oh, there's, no, there's no greater peace in all the world than knowing we have a conscience void of offense between God and our fellow man. We want to be ready when the Lord returns. God can help you today. Let's sing 653. These altars are open.